Good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning, and welcome back. Welcome back to the Porsche Cooled Podcast. It's 2021. 2021. I can't believe it. Um, I hope everyone had a great new year. Uh, those of you who have been here before know who I am. Those of you who are listening to this podcast for the first time, my name is Michael Bath. Uh, this is a podcast where we talk about all things Porsche. Um, going to get Steve on the line shortly. Steve is my mate from Sydney, Australia, has a 997 GT3, been a Porsche enthusiast, Porsche fan for a long, long time. Um, Steve and I just chat about all things Porsche in today's episode. Uh, we also have another episode which goes up on Tuesdays, and that is the uh, Porsche Cooled Owner Stories. Um, so check that out as well. I'll talk about that when I get Steve on the line about this week's episode that just went up uh, on Tuesday. Um, but let's not waste any more time. Let me get Zoom up. Uh, let me get Zoom turned on. Let me get Steve and let's start talking uh, Porsche. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Um, Steve's here. Hi, Steve. Hello, mate. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Steve and I have been sitting here off recording, chatting about other stuff, and then we realize we've got to do this <laughs> podcast because we've been talking for 40 minutes. And if we keep talking, we're actually going to run out of things to run out of steam. Before the hour, yeah, before the I'll, hour is I'll over, I'll fall asleep. <laughs> Steve will fall asleep. I'm already half asleep because you know I'm not a morning person, and I get up at six a.m. Evening person. Steve's not an <laughs> evening person, so we kind of like clash a bit with this. And even though I do yeah. this at eight in the morning with you, Steve, I always, you know, I get up at six, so I get up two hours before, because most yeah. of the times I'm not pre-prepared, you know, with my notes and just basic things we're going to talk about. Last night I actually did mm. prepare, so I was actually a little bit more prepared last night. So. Oh, so this will be a good one then. Well, I'm prepared because you're going to do most of the talking today. So, because <laughs> today, you're right. Because no, because today we're actually. Um, I hope this is recording okay today. I really worry about this sound. My my voice has been a bit flat. I apologise for that. I haven't been recording properly. No, today we're talking about we're talking about. I know something that's going to interest a lot of people, and we're going to get into it shortly, not straight away. We're just going to talk about a couple other things first. But just so you guys hang around, we're going to talk about, and you would have seen it in the title, we're going to talk about GT3 ownership costs. Um, and who better to talk about that than Steve, having owned the GT3 now for how many years, mate? Uh, what is it? I think it's about six, seven years. Is it? Yeah. Six or seven years. Considering, you know, most people switch over their cars quite quickly, and Steve used to as well, that's a... It's getting to be a long ownership journey of the GT3. So Steve has a lot of insight into into things you have to look out yeah. for. But like I said to you before, Steve, there's a lot of um, people that own 996s or 997s. Yeah, 996s and 997s who, you know, there's a lot of people who aspire to getting a GT3. I mean, I've spoken to quite a lot of people on Instagram. There's a couple of people I've spoken to who have up, actually upgraded and, and not upgraded, who have actually gone and bought a 996 GT3 mm. as their first car or... Um, I don't think it was a 997, it was a 996 GT3 is the first car. So it's... Oh, it's I'm just it's looking a, at... Um, yeah. Sorry, I'm just looking at... I quickly went into my photos to look at... Um, a, a f to find a photo of... I've got my car parked in the garage on 14th of July 2014. So that's the day that I would have um, picked it up kind of thing. And it was shot on an Apple iPhone 5. <laughs> oh, there you go. The iPhone tells you what year it is. <laughs> yeah, so 2014, what's that? Six and a bit years. Seven years this year. So seven was years, a big, sorry. Seven July. years. Yeah, yeah. Wow, so that's good. Yeah. That's good. So we, yeah. Steve's going to have quite a bit to talk about about that. As usual, I just want to say thank you to, and I've noticed it on um, Apple Reviews. As I've said before, um, the Apple Reviews for Apple Podcasts, 
Apple's got this weird system. It's like Google. It's like everyone really where if you give us rating, if you give us a rating or a review, we're actually get pushed up in the search results and, and people who are searching for us will come across us. I think it's pretty much okay though because when people search for Porsche, it seems that our podcast comes up now, Steve. So it uh-huh. seems to be – it's either Road to Renline, us uh, and Spike always comes up and one other one. I can't remember what the other one is. Spike one other po- Huh? Excuse me, sp- sp- smoking tire? No, Pick smoking tire doesn't come up. It's one other one. Road to Renline always comes up. Yep. Okay, Apple reviews. So it looks like we've had, well, quite a few people have actually given us ratings, which is great. I noticed the rating number went up by quite a lot over Christmas, so thank you for that. Okay. Um, we had one review. It wasn't really a review, actually. A guy from Sydney, and I don't know your name, sorry. It was, it was LCCA via Apple Podcasts, and he's from Australia. He's from Sydney. He sent me a link. He sent me a link from firstdibs.com. Did I send you that link, Steve? Mm, of the Art Tangerine 912 for sale in the US? No. Oh, I should have sent it to you. Um, it's, right. it, it's a really, really nice example. It was a really beautiful example. It looks like one of those cars you've seen on Instagram quite a lot. It didn't have right. the, the hubcaps, but it was really nice. But I think it was 60... 60-something thousand US dollars. It was a good link, so thank you for that. Um, thanks for the review, and thank you for sending me that. Uh, I want to get onto 912s just in a minute. I just want to talk about 912s briefly before we get into our main chat, but, um, hmm. and then I'll come back to that review and why I, why I liked it, but then there's another reason why I'm getting a bit concerned about 912s. <laughs> Patreon. <laughs> Patreon, we have another new member, Steve. Um, mm-hmm. Mac M. Go Mac, Mac M. M. I'm not 100% sure who MacM is. I think I do, but I, but I could be wrong. But thanks, MacM, for joining um, Porsche Guild Exclusive. Uh, I think we have 19 members now, 19 or 19 odd members of Porsche Guild Exclusive. So that's fantastic. Okay. So thanks for that. Anyone else that wants to join, um, just go over to Patreon, search for Porsche Guild or just patreon.com slash Porsche Guild. And you just go there and it's $5 US a month just to help us keep talking. I'm not going to spend too much time on that. You guys hear that every week, so I don't want to sort of dwell on it too much, but it does actually help us. Um, Porsche Cooled Owner Story, Steve. Did you listen to Nick's episode? I did. I did. And um, I know you want to talk more about 912s, etc. It was quite interesting to kind of hear about his experience, but the bit that got me was like <laughs> we'd rambled on the last podcast about um, – just sort of like some photography tips and then you've got like a professional car photographer <laughs> chatting like what are you talking to me about that shit for you should be talking to him about that yeah i probably forgot to tell you that nick um is a photographer <laughs> oh, yeah, and, and he writes about classic cars and he takes photos of classic cars yeah and then i Did think you... i saw one of the shots um and he's obviously very good so it's like what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you saw Nick's Instagram. Uh, Nick, if you haven't watched already, that's the Porsche Good Owner Stories number 15, uh, which came up on Tuesday, last Tuesday. Well, you know, mm. this week, but on Tuesday. Um, and Nick has a 1968 912 short wheelbase in white. The 968 is a pretty unique year in the 912 because it was slightly different to all the other years because it had emissions control, different emissions, and it's slightly updated, and it's kind of like a one-off in a way. Um, and then they sort of changed again for 69, um, so which was the last year of the 912. He hasn't driven it yet. Nick hasn't driven it yet. I'll give away that part. Um, it's getting worked on. He's got it in the shop at the moment. And I'm going to give a shout out um, to Jack, actually, because that's Flat 6 Jack, which is Ajmal um, also takes his car there, flat cap driver. Um, Nick's mm-hmm. also got his car there. 
so Jack is obviously uh, very sought after at the moment. Very, very good, and I'm sure. And busting to drive it. He'd be busting to drive it. Yeah, that picture that I put on Instagram that Nick um, gave me for the um, for mm. the podcast and everything, that's actually at Flat 6 Jack. That's actually at Jack's shop. Right. Um, and if you go to Ajmal's YouTube channel, Flat Cap Driver, he's got a video where he actually talks to Jack. He's got an interview video, which is a good video to catch up on if you haven't seen that, Steve, or if anyone else listening mm. hasn't seen it, just go to Ajmal Flat Cap Driver's, Flat Cap Driver's channel on YouTube and there's a... There's an interview there that he does with um, Jack at Flat Six Jack. So check that out. It's a good one. Um, But Nick's story was really good. I enjoyed talking to Nick. I was very envious. I think I might have told him that. I mean, he found a really good one, Steve. He did. Mm -hmm. You know, he's he's a bit like me. He did so much research. He he got... I forget how many yeah. photos he said. There was he got so many photos. He said it was in hundreds, wasn't it? Yeah, and he got the guy to yeah. do video calls with him, and he and he did various video calls and and you know walk arounds and. You know, he did all due diligence, you know, and the fact that the yeah. guy used to sell other Americana sort of things or whatever, he checked with people that have bought from him before. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, he just, he really, I mean, that thing that we keep harping on about, that you keep harping on about actually, is about know you know the buyer, right? Get to know the buyer, um, buy isn't the, it? Buyer, buy, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Um, buy, the, buy the seller. Buy the seller, buy the seller, yeah. <laughs> Um, and I really, he really did buy the seller. You know what I mean? He mm. he did everything. You know, more than poss- more than most people would probably go through. I would probably do the same thing as Nick did. That's why I really related to it. I would actually be a little bit more like Nick in that. You know, you make sure everything is checked out. And it seems it's like funny like co- that though, because just off that, like if you were the seller, but you were kind of interrogated that. I don't know. Be interesting. Be, or be curious to know like how many people would lose sort of not lose patience with it, but not be that um, accommodating with that. Like I, I'm sort of thinking, um, I know my uncle doesn't listen to this, but like he's a car enthusiast and I reckon he'd just kind of get the shits with people asking him that many questions. Whereas like I know for me, for example, I've had it happen where I've sold say like my 993 and then two owners later they've kind of wanted to have a chat about it. I was like, yeah, man, I'll talk maybe, to you today. Cows come home about it. but Maybe it's different because that guy approached Nick, he contacted him. The car wasn't okay. advertised. Yeah. It wasn't an advertised car. I'm pretty sure he. Con- I mean, I'm, I'm, my memory. Yeah, it wasn't is on the market, was it? Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't on, on the market, kind of market. And he contacted. Yeah. But you know, I guess it depends on the person selling it. It depends on how keen mm. you are on selling it. I mean, I guess some sellers too, Steve. You know, you're. It actually makes you feel better when you're giving away something that maybe you don't want to give away, that you don't want to sell. That is going to. Uh, that it is going to someone. Care for it. Yeah. Yeah, and it. You know it. It kind of maybe if it's your love and pride and joy and you've had it for a long time and then you give it away and you know this person's going to look after it, you know? Or even even what I just sort of said, which is like, you know, um, Auto House have put me, asked me and then put me in touch with um, the latest owner of my old kind of 993, etc. It's like, yeah, um, there's nothing in it for me. I'm quite happy to chat about it just because I've got fond memories of the car and you're just sort of an enthusiast. And you know what I'm like with strangers too. I I'm terrible at talking to people I don't know. But even the story that you told me about, um, mm. I'm going to mention the F word, people are going to hate me again. Um, but there was a, there, there <laughs> was a Ferrari a Ferrari 328 for sale at Andrea Motorini, is it? Motorini in yeah. Sydney. M- um, and Steve yeah. told me that, Steve told me that's where his uncle took his car. And then we're just talking yeah. about when you put cars up for, for, a, for a consignment, you know what I mean? And you mm. made that comment that like Auto House got an Auto House at Hamilton in Sydney as well. It's like before mm. they'll take the car on consignment, they want to make sure that the car is perfect for the next person buying it or as close yes. to perfect. So any work that so needs they, to be done, yeah. 
So they inspect it. They, sorry, they inspect it and then they kind of basically give you a punch list of stuff that needs to kind of be done to it. And if you don't, if you won't do it, then they won't sell it. Basically, they won't take it on because it's their reputation. Yeah. So, and I think that's why you buy from. That's why you buy from these specialists. You know what I mean? You know, maybe in, you know, in hmm. Order House Hamilton in Sydney or you know, 911 Virgin in the UK or, you know, these sort of places or even specialist Ferrari dealers or whoever you, you know, you find out wherever you find them from because you know that they've actually like, they're doing part of the job for you, aren't they? They're doing that part of the job with the, with the seller to make sure that the car is up to the standard of their standard, which hopefully will be, you know, online with your standard, correct? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, So that's that. But anyway, it was great having Nick on. Porsche Cooled Owner Stories, like I said, check that out. Uh, 1968, 912 White. It's a beautiful, beautiful example. I really, really want to see these cars in the UK. It's really annoying that we're in T5. Ajmal did a video last night, Flat Cap Driver, where he mentioned how he wanted to meet up with me. It would be really good to meet up with uh, both Nick and both Ajmal and, and see these cars and, and you know, mm. and, and, and meet them as well. It would be fantastic to do that. But, I um, mean, at the moment, London's gone into T5, so that's going to be impossible. And I think... It's going to be in T5 and I'm going to be gone. I'm going to be back in Bahrain. So that's unfortunate. But check out Nick's um, Instagram at the Classic Series. Uh, like I said, he he has a Series 3 Land Rover as well. Um, and like I said on the podcast, he's got the, probably the two, coolest two-car collection. He's got the 912 in white mm. and he's got that Series 3 Land Rover, which is, which is pretty cool as well. They're all the um, rage, aren't they? Yeah, they are. They are. They're very... Um, there's a company in Lisbon, actually, which does really well. Have you seen that company in Lisbon? No, I know nothing about... They, they, there's defense. a company in Lisbon, which I can't think of the name, which does some really, really good examples. But anyway, um, at the Classic Series, check that out. Uh, Nick was a great guest, and it was good to have him on and, and chat about the 912. Um, what do you think of that singer car that's all over Instagram, Steve? The AMC... Is it AMC? It's just a safari car. Yeah, AMC I don't know. safari car. It's still similar to when um, the Porsche Unseen sort of thing kind of came out, and I guess we were just chatting about it previously because Safari cars have sort of popped up here and there. I'm I'm not 100% sure what I really think about them. Um, You know, like, they're obviously, again, like they're sort of all the rage. Um, The thing about it is, like, Singer probably doesn't do anything by halves, and... um, Tuthill, Richard Tuthill had a massive hand in that car. And once you um, start kind of digging into it, I know he's got like a pretty awesome reputation when it comes to um, rally 911 cars. So, yeah, um, he's the man. He is. If you haven't seen it already, just do it. I'm I'm sure most people have seen it because it's all over the internet. Um, But just Mm. do a search for Singer AMC Safari Car. Basically, Singer, you know, using their tagline, they've reimagined a Safari 911. Um, it's yeah. it's done between Singer, as, as, as Steve's just said, and Tuttle in um, the UK. It was actually built by them, though. It was actually built in the UK. Yeah. But you can see, I mean, the one thing that stands out is I don't necessarily like the look of it, personally. Yeah. I don't think yeah. it's, I don't like the look of it, but I can appreciate the look of it. And obviously, when you look at it, the quality of Singer, which you, you cannot... Um, you know, you can't sort of criticise their quality because Singer quality, I mean, the quality of that yeah. car, Steve, and the way it's set up and the, and the detailing of it, you know, it's it's pretty amazing. This car was commissioned by a very, very um, good Singer client. I'm guessing this person is in the could be in the UK, I don't know. But I don't know if you read the whole story, Steve. 
is yeah, that... there's two of them, isn't it? There's two of them, and this, it's an this unnamed client. Too, yeah. yeah, it's an unnamed client who commissioned two of these cars. And I don't know whether he had to commission two because they wouldn't just make one. Apparently, it's seven nah. figures. Seven yeah. figures. <laughs> like, you know, like, honestly, I mean, a normal singer is what, 600,000? 600,000? I have no idea, yeah. So this is over a million. Yep. You know, Parallax White is the one that you've seen all over the internet, which has been the one that's been, you know, shown on Top Gear and there's videos of it on YouTube as well. It's been filmed. Yeah, Yeah, it's been filmed. I mean, it's got nice detailing. I'm not sure about the back where they say it's harking back to the 959 where you see that curvature of the the, the rear sort of wing and they're saying that's it. sort of then morphs into, yeah, it's got like bits of the old... um, the GT1, like the Le Mans races as well. You know, like when you think about the uh, yes. 996 base GT1, how yeah. that kind of rear, the, the, the look of the rear of that. Oh, uh, you're right, actually. It looks like that too. It's a bit GT1. Because I know when the video I watched, little, they said it was 959, but it kind of does look like the GT1 as well. They kind of morph into each other. And it also actually looks a little bit sort of Lancia Stratos to me as well. But um, yeah, I'm, I kind of agree, like from an aesthetic point of view, um, I have no idea. Like, you'd need to have a lot of money, and I'm sure it's just part of the collection. But it, I think I remember us chatting about safari cars because, like, if you were Matt Farah driving around in that in his one, I'm not. I don't know if I'd sort of feel a little bit like a tool. Um, in a I guess you look at thing. Matt Farah. You look at the Lee Keen's one, which Matt Farah has. Yeah. Lee Keen's safari car, and you look at Singer. I mean, they're so different, aren't they? I mean. Yeah. Lee Keens does look more like a, a usable, and I'm not saying this in any bad way to sing it, it looks like more of a usable safari car. You know what I mean? But you wouldn't be too yeah, worried yeah. about getting trashed. The singer to me, I mean, you'd have to have a lot of money to not be worried about not <laughs> wrecking that car. Yeah. And the guys bought, like the guys commissioned two, and obviously the white one's been finished first, and the second one... Uh, he's commissioned in, I think it's in red, Corsica Red. I wrote it down, Corsica Red. Yeah. And it's a tarmac car, isn't it? And it's a tarmac car. Yeah. So he's got one configured for tarmac and one configured for, no doubt Singer will get orders from other people now, now that these are commissioned. No doubt other people will want them, for sure, Hmm. for sure. But does this, you think, getting back to, I'm not spending a lot of time on this, but do you think this is going to, is this an indication that Porsche are going to do a Safari 911? Is no this like idea. even more so that now Singer's doing a safari and, you know, this whole safari trend is, is coming, getting stronger, isn't it? Yeah, I noticed um, on Instagram, I think I follow, what's this guy's name, Maz, Maz the, um, I think he's the CEO of Singer. Um, I, I started following him when he was on the 993 um, forum on Renlist. Um, so... He kind of was familiar and I think they're all interconnected, like they're all mates with Chris Harris and Richard Tuttle and all these kind of dudes are all, you know, sort of buddies kind of thing. But um, oh, I've lost my train of thought again. What was I going to say? What's wrong with you, mate? Well, yeah, Where are plenty. you today? <laughs> it's late. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? I don't know. Sorry. We'll have to kind of talk about come something back else. To it. Come back come to back it. Come back to it. Yeah. Speaking of singer and that, I noticed that um, – and I can't remember. I can't remember the name. People hate it when I say that. Um, but the mm. guy who's the engineer designer of Gunther Works is actually follows yep. Porsche Good on Instagram. He actually um, sent me a message. Is it? Yeah. Wow. And I think he used to work for Singer. He used to work for Singer, and now he yeah, works for Gunther Works. Right. Yeah. I didn't even realize. Um, I felt pretty cool when he when I saw that message. I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. Anyway. But the, it- 
it, that article also actually reminded me, and I think I just sent it to you before we started chatting before, um, with Tuthill. Um, do you remember, because um, he, and, he and Chris Harris are mates, but do you remember um, Chris Harris before he was on Top Gear? I think when he was sort of freelance and doing one of his own things, yeah. commissioned that green ST, that 911, and that was all done through Tuthill. I remember following um, Chris Harris when he was having it built and he used to kind of go and check in on it and like all the tuning in terms of the suspension and all of that sort of stuff. Like Tuttle sounds like he's like the man because I think he's also involved in the um, the other singer, what's it called, the D... Oh, know, right, he's DSLR actually doing... or whatever the thing's called, DLR. Oh, right. He's, so he's, 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 he's involved in friends. the sort of setup of that. So he's obviously yeah. friends with the guy, the singer guy who's English anyway. Yeah, uh, well, it's proper. He's he's sort of like properly in the know when it comes to the engineering and setup side of nine elevens. Not not just rally cars, but like I think he knows his shit. So yeah, I mean, you know, a Singer AMC Safari car. I think it looks good. You know, I don't think I'd want one, but I think it does actually look good. I think the detailing's good. I mean, I don't mm. love it, but I can appreciate it. Um, the one I can't appreciate is that um, Roadster concept. Oh, now I remember what I was going to say. That Sorry. Roadster concept <laughs> by Walter De Silva. I don't know yeah. about that. Has, anyone, has everyone seen that? Where did, that's, I think it's on Piston Heads. If you do a, a search for Piston Heads, um, I yeah. sent you the link, Steve, for that one. I'm sure if you saw that. But what do you think of that yeah, car? Yeah, yeah, I don't mind it. I think that came from, I remember reading car mags back in the day when they were speculating that um, Porsche were considering building a model of um, car that was cheaper below a Boxster. So my guess is that it was that car. Like it's called a 551. 550 O N E. Yeah, um, I don't like the back. So it looks like it's around that time. Yeah, don't you? I really find the back quite. I mean, I don't like the back. I find it quite ugly. Yeah, I don't mind it. It's from two thousand and eight. That show car, I think. So it's quite a quite two, a while. Yeah, five fifty one. Uh, it's on Piston Heads. If you have, if everyone hasn't seen it, just do a search. It's called Porsche five fifty one on Piston Heads. Two thousand and eight concept inspired by James Dean's original five fifty little bastard. Yep. The front, I don't mind. I don't mind the venting on the front. I guess you've got to go back to the time when it came out. The back of yeah, it to me... Yeah, sort of why. The back of it and, the, and those air vents, the air diffused sort of vents on the rear haunches. I don't like the back. It looks like an American car. It looks to yeah, me okay. like some American car. I think it's the shape of the lights. It's, re, it's reminding me of something and I just can't remember what it is. You're That's right. That's the only thing. But apart from that... I don't mind I don't, it. Yeah, I don't mind the I don't front. Mind. I don't. I don't mind the front. It's got a bit of detail on the side doors, hasn't it? Oh, that's just reflection. Yeah. Hey, I've got yeah. to purge this from my brain now. I can remember what I was, where I lost my train of thought. Okay. The guy that's the CEO of um, Singer is his name is Maz. Um, I follow him on Instagram. He was posting all those um, AMC images, and I think um, Proininger got on there and made a comment. So oh, I thought that was interesting. When the- when your question was, um, do you think this is a sign that? Um, the factory will kind of go into like safari cars. I think um, AP said something like bold move or something like that. If you go and have a look at it, he, he made a comment on this. Really? He's yeah, funny, yeah, yeah. isn't he? He's funny, yeah. Mr. AP. It's cool. I like how he gets in there. He kind of gets in and just sort of, you know, talks on sort of like a normal kind of level about stuff. I'm sure they're interested in seeing that though. I'm sure, they, I'm sure mm. there's communication between them with Porsche and Singer. I'm sure they communicate. What else? What else? Oh, yeah. And the other thing that we saw, and I actually just saw this this morning and I sent Steve the link just just then, is 
It's on, uh, what is it, classicdriver.com, classicdriver.com, and it's this, we were talking about truck cars in previous episodes, Steve's been talking about how he wants a Mazda Miata MX-5, <laughs> actually Nick, who was on Owner Stories, used to own them and, and do track days in them, so I sent you those mm. pictures during the week, so thanks Nick for sending those through, it makes Steve, Steve wants one even more so now, I think. Yeah, they're cool. Or a Boxster. So I sent them to my wife. Or a Boxster, which Nick has owned two Boxsters. Boxster Spider. Yeah. Yeah. Two boxes as a track car. Um, but I was talking about the track car side of it. Hmm. Would you get a Boxster track car or would you get a Mazda MX-5 track car? Uh, if money was no object, then you'd go for a Boxster, wouldn't you? But, like, you know, if you're trying to be, like, Good normal answer, and mate. married. Good answer. <laughs> if, you, if, you're trying to be, if you're trying to maintain your um, marriage and pending That's kids right. and all that sort of shit, then MX-5. Yeah, but it's about I'm the same to be price. Mature, mate. MX-5 is about the same price as a Boxster now. A uh, box of spider, not just... Oh, like, box of spider, you want to go top end. I'm just talking yeah. entry level. Um, <laughs> but there's a car, there's a Carrera GT. Uh, this guy bought, um, like I said, do a search on um, classicdriver.com. A guy bought a GT. He turned it into a, what is it, a GTR? A GT, GTR. A Carrera GTR, full race Carrera GTR. He basically bought the Carrera GT as new. Um, he spent... It was around 440,000 euros new. He spent 220,000 euros to basically strip it out, you know, pull out the seat, pull out the infotainment setup, pull out the bows, took out the carbon brakes, um, and then added, you know, racing brakes, AP racing brakes, uh, bespoke pedal boxes, um, you know, high performance clutch, ECUs, Motec ACU, BBS wheels replaced the Porsche rims. So basically, it's a completely different car. And then he was ready to go and race it. And then, but basically it's uh, the specification of this car was basically too fast to go in any official race series. So basically he just used it as a, as a track day car, as a casual kind of track day car. Mm. And I think it said he clocked up about 2,000 or 2,000 kilometers on circuits. And then it basically has been sitting in storage since 2015 as you would do if you mm-hmm. had a car of that value. And now it's for sale. I noticed that actually the article is basically because it is actually for sale for about a million euro, over a million euro. What is it? 849,000. Is that euro or pounds? Was it pounds. euro, is it? 849,000 849, euro. 849,000. So, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a bit of a tricky sell, that one, isn't it? Because you really do have to just, you know, it's, com- it's a completely different car. I was wondering, and I don't know whether it says it in the ad. I didn't read the whole ad, Steve. If you get the, you mm. know, you're the buyer. Oh, do you have all the original parts? <laughs> if I want to put, <laughs> put it back to, if I want to put it back to normal, do you have all the original parts? Because mm, if you're not. spending that much money, if you're spending that much money, you kind of want the original parts, right? I'm sure he does have them. I'm yeah. sure they're all. Being... Don't know. I'm not sure if I like it or not. <clears throat> It definitely it's it's also got a very um distinctive livery because he's kind of he's sticking it all up um like a Le Mans um GT GT1 car like the yes. old 996 is it the 996 one the 993 996 GT1 car and yeah. um the Le Mans racer with the f- base white thing and the mobile bits with the funny kind of wavy blue stripes all over it and I don't know, it just doesn't look that great. <laughs> yeah, I think the base colour is silver, and I think that they said it's a wrap that was wrapped in that, yeah. that livery. I don't know. I mean, anyway. you have to be, you know, I mean, once again, we're talking about singers. We're talking about commissioning a singer for, you know, seven figures, two singers for seven figures, and we're talking about someone who buys a GT, 
a Carrera GT new <laughs> and rips it out and makes it into a race car for a you know do two thousand kilometers of track days on it. So you know it's a different world, yeah. different world than what we live in, Steve. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. We're going to catch up on all the news. This is like the news segment, isn't it? Lego Porsche. Everyone likes Lego. Everyone likes Lego Porsche. Steve's got the Technic one. I can see it in the background when I'm talking to him in his special the display case. Orange RS. Yep. The Orange RS. I don't have one yet. I was going to buy the uh, white one. Which one's that? Nine Eleven. Cheaper. Yeah, it's cheaper. It's I was a, going it's to buy. It's also one. an RS. Is it? No, it's. Uh, is it? I think it's an RSR, actually. RSR. It's an RSR. But apparently, Porsche, there's rumors on the Lego rumor forum. Yes, there is a forum for Lego rumors, Steve, which I find I just shake yep. my head at all these forums now. I'm sure there is. But, but there's, yeah. a, there's a new Lego Porsche 911 coming out. Apparently, it's got 15 odd, almost 1,500 pieces, uh, 150 US, apparently. And it's going to be part of this new collection they're doing called the Vehicle Collection. Hmm. They say it's similar to the Botanical Collection. I have no idea what that means. I don't know what that is. Yep. But it's basically for 18 plus um, builds, 18 and over. So no one, you know, not for children. It's an adult thing. Does uh, it come with a nude lady in the passenger seat? I don't know. I mean, I don't know which one they're going to do because they say it's a Porsche 911. One article I saw, it had a picture of a uh, G-Series. The next one I saw, it had a picture of a 991. So I don't think anyone right. knows which one it's going to be. Um, but apparently it's out on March 1 and they're going to have a special launch okay. for it. So March 1, there's going to be a new Lego you can buy, Stephen, and sit in. I mean, maybe people in London will enjoy it because everyone will be in Tier 5 lockdown still in March. So uh, I said it to you because my, my mum bought me this as a Christmas present years ago when it kind of came out. And then I just shoved it in a cupboard. Like, awesome present. Such a good present. But I never got around to building it. And then... When COVID hit and everybody was playing with jigsaw puzzles, I sort of thought, oh, you know, I've got a little bit of time on my hands. I may as well build it. And I had such a good time building the thing. Um, I was so tempted to buy the white RSR, but when I looked at it, it looks like it's probably just sort of like a slightly different version of, in terms of the actual way you build it, um, of the orange RS that I've got. So I decided against it. But people say it's not as good because it doesn't come with a separate pack. It's the way the parts are packaged in the box. I have actually read a review. Oh, the RSR? Yeah, the RSR. I think your one, the orange one, had all the parts separately in plastic bags. I think this one is just just in trays. It's not actually all separate. I think there's something different about it. It's slightly smaller, the RSR one. Some people say that the original one is better, but then they say they fine-tuned it a bit for the RSR, so certain other things are better in the RSR. I'm not sure what they are. I can't remember. Yeah, I just thought that if I bought it um, and I did it, at, you know, like pretty much straight after the orange one, that um, it'd sort of be like building it again kind of thing because effectively the way the suspension comes together would be, you know, effectively the same bits, blah, blah, blah. It's pretty cool so, though. But you know you just yeah, lost half your value by making it. You should have just kept it in the box, yeah. Because yeah. you know they're... a thousand bucks online. <laughs> I saw one the other day for a thousand pounds. Oh, wow. Okay. A thousand pounds in the box though. But to, you know, yeah. out of box and in a box, it's like watches. It's like some kind of collection. But you know, yeah, yeah. if you if you bought a couple of them, they're they're pretty. They've they've gone crazy. Speaking of prices, I going, recommend it though. Like it's worth getting. Definitely worth getting, and it's fun to build it. Like um, I could have bought the or, I could have bought the orange one when I was in Bahrain, and I found one. It was only like three hundred pounds or something, which wasn't that much. But uh, you won't have. you won't find them at that price now. I think there's one for sale in yeah. Australia cheaper as well. I mean, the white one's still cheap. The RSL one is still yeah. available. I just haven't bought it because I don't want to buy any more things that I have to carry back to Australia. That's what I'm worried about. <laughs> I've got too many things. So speaking of prices and keeping um, that collectible, 
912 hmm. prices. Hmm. I think I touched on this with Nick a little bit. It still seems to me that, like, you know, I still want a 912, Steve. I know I go in and out of this. Well, to you, mm-hmm. I go in and out of this. And not because I don't mm-hmm. want, like, the 912. I, I still really like the 912. And I guess I go in and out of it because of the prices. I do want to get one at a good price. Um, I never ask people in owner's stories when they have a classic or whatever how much they paid for it. I don't want them to divulge mm-hmm. that. If they want to tell me, they can. But I don't, you know, don't push people to give me the price. So I don't know what Nick paid for his. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. he did buy his in the US. And I still think that that is is the better option. I still think buying it from the US is still going to be a better value proposition than buying it from the UK. It seems like the mm-hmm. UK prices are a little bit overinflated, I think. I think they really are, are a little bit overinflated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that for me, I think it's, it's I think what like what Nick did and got it from the US and, and got it imported is still a better, better thing to do. Um, and also, yep. I think the prices in the UK may be a bit high because there's not so many of them around. The one thing that I was actually inter- was surprised about that Nick told me with the 912 is that they were available in right-hand drive. Yeah, I noticed you said that too. I didn't um, realise that. I never realised that they were actually made for the right-hand market. There must be – and that he knows a couple of people in the UK that are in the sort of 912 group or whatever that he's talking to or has – who knows about who have mm-hmm. a right-hand drive. Like I'd mm-hmm. hate to think how much they cost. I mean, there's one on Bring a Trailer at the moment, a um, Bahama Yellow 912 for sale. It's at mm-hmm. 30000 already. Um, people are saying that this one might actually break the record on Bring a Trailer. I'm not sure if it right. will, but it's a pretty nice example. But it's only at 30 k at the moment, but it's got, you know, three days to run. So it'll probably, I think it'll go for something like 70. I think it'll go for 70 US. Good color as well. It's a good color. <coughs> yeah, it's me. a good color. Yeah. But anyway, 912, it's still on my radar. I still want one. Um, I'm still talking to other people that own them. I'm still, you know, getting as much information as possible. Um, I don't think mm. the UK is the right place. Uh, every time I seem to find one in the UK, it's always 59,000 or almost 50,000 pounds. I still think it's cheaper to get one from the US yep. and get it sent back to Australia. All right. What else, Steve? GT3. You want to talk about the GT3, which is what we're going to talk about today? Sure. Yeah, sure. um, a lot, like it. I said, a lot of people earlier on. I said a lot of people um, who are owning 911s now, or who want to get into, you know, who might buy a 996, or because it's you know a good price. A lot of people are dreaming of a GT3. I mean, I'm still on a GT3. I haven't, you know, you know, the GT3 is still, you know, my perfect two car garage is probably the 912 and the GT3. Um, if yeah. I could keep my 997 Carrera as well, I probably would. But you know, a 997 GT3 or a 991.2 GT3. But let's let's talk about the costs of owning a gt3 and i guess for the listeners when you bought your car seven years ago mm-hmm. looking back now you got it at a good price but the prices were still on the rise when you bought it right they or had they completely uh, bottomed out when you bought yours i don't think well I, I suspect you can never really tell right like i just remember kind of going it's all my 993 no I had my 993, I drove a 997 GT3 for the first time, knew that that was the right thing to do, put my 993 on the market, sold that, was carless for a couple of months whilst I was kind of just trying to scope them out. And it really was just the price at the time. I didn't, you know, it's sort of like right now, I guess you kind of go, if you want to get a GT3, a 997 GT3, what's it going to cost you? Um, Probably about 210, 220 maybe? Australian dollars, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so at the time for me, the the prices were sort of hovering sort of 150, 160, I think, um, was where it was at. Yeah, my memory of it is there were 150, 160, and I think there was a red one that was a little bit lower in price, wasn't there? Wasn't there one for 145 or something? 
actually a bit less. Remember, to be perfectly honest. So no, mine was sort of um, not not super expensive, but not super cheap at, uh, at the time that I bought it. And I kind of just, you know, I, I knew it and I went sort of straight into it and just sort of said, like offered him very close to what he was asking kind of thing, but it was quite highly specced. Like the thing about my car was that it was highly had quite a high spec. It was a club sport with, you know, carbon and extended leather and some bits and pieces that you wouldn't, that might be slightly unusual, but um, on the same hand, like it had slightly higher miles than maybe some of the other cars out there in terms of it was like 32 or 33,000 K as opposed to like 20, low 20s maybe. But, just, but even 30,000 K is pretty low really when you think about it. It's not yeah, very, course, it's not very high. Um, so... Yeah. You know, people who are looking at a GT3, the first thing that comes to mind is you think, okay, this car is going to might cost me too much to run. It might cost me too much to keep. There could be a lot of things that are going wrong with it. I remember when I was looking at 996 turbos at, at that time when there were only 80-odd thousand in Australia. And I remember you checked with, um, I think it was Grant at Order House, and he mm. said, oh, be, watch out for the turbos because they have more intercoolers or they have more, you know, there's more yep. things that yep. can go wrong and the cost of a turbo is slightly more than than a Carrera, yep. than a base Carrera or yep. Carrera S or whatever you're looking at, Carrera 4S. Um, yep. So I guess the GT3, and all I know about GT3 service costs is I know when I look at prices online, I think it was in Porsche yep. Australia at one point, that the GT3 service prices were slightly higher for the minor. Oh, the scheduled costs, The annual, yeah. the minor, and the major were a little bit higher. But I remember looking at yep. it thinking they're not that much higher. They were about 10%. But I guess that's not where the cost comes, is it? The cost comes from the parts and the cost of the well, parts because, and, yeah yeah so i suppose because like for example talk about a consumable like brakes like the brakes are bigger um you know the brakes are much bigger on a, a gt3 than they are on a standard career or career s so of course like come time when you need to replace the discs and the pads kind of thing you know it's a different bit it's a high performance bit so therefore like obviously the cost of it is higher i'm assuming um i don't have a like-for-like like kind of reference to it. But, yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess a big part of it is probably, and part of what we're going to maybe just kind of touch on now is um, I guess you kind of ponder whether or not, like how reliable is it, like what kind of goes wrong because you're sort of thinking that because it's a, it was an expensive car in its day and it still is and even more so now, Yeah. Um, will it cost you an arm and a leg when something like what goes wrong and is it going to cost you an arm and a leg um, if it does go wrong? So six and a half years going to seven years of ownership. Yeah. In regards to the maintenance, what was the biggest surprise that you had that something that you didn't really expect was going to happen? Mm, nothing, to be honest. I think everything, like what's happened is big. In, in prepping for this um, quick chat, because um, we talk, we were going to maybe sort of discuss it last week, but I wasn't ready because all I was all I had intended to do was just to quick, quickly dig up my um, files and just have a quick look at the invoices over the last yeah. six or seven years. The biggest surprise for me is that it actually hasn't been as full on as I kind of thought that okay. it was. I don't know you. Uh, once I kind of go through it, you tell me. But I actually kind of look at it and go, "That's actually pretty reasonable." Like. The expense on my behalf for it has been me kind of messing around and modding and tinkering and sort of ploughing money that was pretty much unnecessary into it for fun, like as the passion of the hobby. But in terms of sheer maintenance, like the bits that you actually kind of have to do to keep the thing on the road or whatever, yeah. 
it's been really good. Okay, so you bought... Surpri- surprisingly low. <clears throat> for people who don't know, Steve bought, even though it had slightly higher kilometres, Steve, right? 30-odd thousand. Mm. You bought a really mm. good example. You bought it and it still had some yep. warranty left over. Um, so you bought it and yep. you did, you know, you did anything that needed to be fixed before you took ownership. You basically got it done within the warranty period, right? You got most things I'll go done. through that for you if you like. Yep. So just super quick, like, yeah, it was still under sort of um, the warranty and... Um, the seller had sort of said to me at the time there was a couple of things that he was waiting on before he and he would get that sorted under warranty before he kind of had the car shipped up from Melbourne um, to Sydney for me. So the carbon centre console um, had a crack in it which was kind of covered under warranty and that was like a $9,000 part um, which um, wow. he had sort of replaced <laughs> brand new. Yeah. Okay. Mental. Um and then there was something else. Uh, no, there's other things. Sorry. So there were a couple of things like that that he was going to fix before he had the car delivered to me. When I then took the car, I obviously took it to Order House to kind of get them to sort of um, check what had kind of come up in the PPI because the car was still under warranty, so I just obviously wanted to then get it sorted. Yes. Um, in that initial kind of inspection, um, there was like... Uh, one of the exhaust valves had failed. It's like it was stuck in the closed position. So when you press the little um, sports exhaust button, there was no change in um, the volume. Um, that, that's that a, a really common, kind of common thing. It is a common yeah, thing. It's a common okay. thing. Not not a big deal. Like I think it's only a couple of hundred bucks to change the thing, but that was a warranty thing for me. Um, and then in the PPI. Um, they had noted that there was a possible very, very tiny RMS kind of leak. Um, right. When it came up to Auto House, they kind of looked at it and sort of said, ah, oh, you know, it's kind of arguable. Like if, if it is, it's, you know, really, really, you know, um, you know, we can, we can send it to SCUDS, um, see what they kind of think, you know, like if they sort of rejected it, it's really not a big deal. But if they kind of take it and they're happy to kind of um, replace the RMS, then no problem. Um Turned out that they sort of, Willoughby sort of said, no, we don't think it really is. And I was quite happy with it. And it's never, it's never kind of come back. It was, so basically it was one of those sort of borderline things. Um, so that was from the Porsche dealership in Melbourne. Willoughby. Oh. The one in Melbourne though, the, who actually pinpointed that it had an RMS issue? No, that was the PPI in Melbourne. PPI in Melbourne. a place called AutoArt. Oh, okay. Yep. That's interesting that they so picked that up, but nothing's happened. It's been fine since. There's no issue. Yeah, no issue. And, like, uh, just, you know, for what – so, again, RMS is something that kind of comes up as a common thing on a on a 997 GT3 and I think Metzger engines, so, like, you know, 996 turbos, 996 GT3s. Um, the bit that I was told – again, I'll caveat all of this – with I'm not particularly mechanical, so I'm just going to repeat stuff that was said to me um, and not necessarily understand it was RMS, um, the remain seal leak, occurs if you don't drive your car, like if it sits there a lot. Um, okay. So if it's not regularly kind of turned over, blah, 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 then they have a tendency to kind of drop oil and weep. So the way to kind of, you know, counter that is just make sure you turn the thing over every, you know, week or two kind of thing and just is drive it. it. Is it an expensive fix? Did you get any indication I don't of what think it, so. I it's don't not think an expensive fix? It's, I don't think it's massive. It's not like, um, you know, I, I can't remember. I don't think it's dropping the engine. It's not the engine. engine out. I was going to say it's not dropping no, the engine or anything. No, I don't think it anything. is. 
<clears throat> okay. I don't think it is. So they were fixed under – is that that was fixed under warranty, so there were major, minor sort of issues that had happened after X amount of years. Yeah, so those things were all relatively kind of minor when I picked the car up, and those things – you're, like if you start reading forums in terms of stuck exhaust valves, RMS type things, um, they're think, common things that kind of come up, but okay. they weren't kind of particularly scary in my in my experience. Right, right. All right, and what else? Hmm. So what else have you had to spend money on? What other ma- apart from the service cost, which I want to talk about at the end, but what other maintenance yep. items have happened? So I'll run through it super quick because it's actually not that long. So this is over like, what, seven years, right? Um, The, what was it? That was a couple of years ago, maybe two years ago in the height of an Australian summer, um, my coolant lines let go. Um, But so like you read about it a lot um, and basically what it is is that the coolant lines are glued, like there's there's a line that's literally kind of glued to a kind of metal part of the engine and... With heat and everything, it basically kind of lets go. Um, you you can and you will read about it a lot once you start doing your homework. Um, it happens a lot on the track because it's obviously super hot, high-pressure kind of conditions, and you really don't want that to happen because you basically spew coolant all over your rear tyres, plus the cars that possibly are on track following behind you, well, something nasty can happen to everybody if that happens. Right. So that, that's the one big thing that kind of gets um, talked about a lot, you know, similar to IMS in um, standard 997s and 996s. It's the one thing that will kind of come up a lot. And um, you read about a lot in the States, you read about a lot in the track cars. It did actually happen to my car, um, but I was just driving on the road and it was a hot day in summer. And I guess like Sydney, I guess arguably is a fairly hot kind of climate. Um, but... This the coolant line issue. Mm. Knowing you, yep. Did you not know about this issue? No, because um, so even was on so the forums. Was... You hadn't been looking at it. You just had. You just missed it. Did you? Because you oh, would sorry, have actually. No, no, no. Because you would. It just surprises me that you wouldn't have had this done already. That you wouldn't have had them pinned. preemptive. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. No, I understand what you're saying. I knew that. Yes. Sorry. I knew that it was a potential issue and all of that sort of stuff, but. It's just one of those things where you kind of read about it and all the track guys kind of go, you have to have it done. Um, like some people kind of go, like I think maybe if you look it up maybe on a UK forum, some people will kind of go, well, it doesn't really happen as often here. So um, I don't know. I don't I don't have the definitive answer, but I knew of it, but I wasn't about to kind of like I probably would have waited till, for example, the engine needed to be dropped to change the clutch or something like that, and then I probably would have gone, okay, right. now can you right. kind of do it? But did you so think? So then, what happened? Sorry, did you think because you don't do mm. track days, you thought that's probably why it wouldn't be a major issue? Yep. Yep. But that yep. day, that I think I remember when you said it happened. I think that was one of a. It was yep. a really hot day as well. It was a remarkably yep. hot day in summer. So that probably just let it, it just let loose. Now the problem with people looking at nine nine seven GT threes is this is a huge yep. cost if it happens. Can you just? I don't think we've actually really talked about it much before. Can you just tell people what it involves, mm-hmm. Steve? And, and because it is a really big cost. Uh, uh, just one other quick thing is like um, it wasn't as dramatic for me in terms of what happened. Was I was funnily enough driving to the trimmer um, Clarence. And I was on my way home from there, and then all of a sudden I noticed that my um, temperature gauge um, was kind of starting to read higher and higher. Um, 
And then I think I pulled over and I could kind of tell that something wasn't quite right and I had to look under the car and I could tell that there was a little bit of fluid. I made it to Auto House and sort of stopped there. I rang ahead, told them that I was coming. When I got there, they sort of said, yeah, we think maybe the water pump had let go. They weren't quite sure. Oh, okay. And then um, the conversation from there quickly is, well, um, do I just leave it here or, you know, do you want me to kind of come back and book it in properly? And they sort of said, oh, look, we don't think it's a drivable thing. Leave it here. Left it there. You know, they had a look at it properly a day later, diagnosed it properly, and then just sort of said it wasn't the water pump, like the it's the coolant lines. And so that conversation when they rang me to sort of say that, I was kind of prepared for that because like, oh, okay, like, you know, anything to do with kind of um, coolant means that, yes, I know the water pumps do go, but I knew that there was a big possibility that it was going to be that. Okay. And what happened next? And um, you had to get it. So they kind of kept the car for a um, few days, um, basically entails dropping the engine and um, I, I won't get too technical. There's there's kind of different ways of sort of repairing it where people kind of weld things, other people kind of, there are kits where you kind of pin, you pin the lines, which means sort of drilling a little bit into another bit kind of thing rather than just doing what the factory did, which was effectively, you know, sort of glue. Mm. Um, and that's the way to kind of fix it. But you basically got to drop the engine out to kind of do it. So then it just kind of gets expensive, even though I don't think the parts are particularly. Deep. So they, so which, what did Auto House do? You change the coolant lines completely, or they're just fixed in a different way? What, what was? You the... replace it and you pin them. You you replace the lines and then you pin them. Basically. So they're all new lines, all new coolant lines, and then they're pinned to yeah. the body. Yep. Okay. And then yep. because you um, were getting that done, you had the clutch done at the same time, right? So then, yes, it's that kind of terrible thing of like, you know, um, once you kind of start dropping your engine, the natural conversation is, uh, I can't remember what mileage my car was at at that point. It was probably sort of high 60s, maybe, um, maybe 70, 65 or something like that. So 60 or 70,000 Ks worth of wear on the clutch. I couldn't, I don't think I could ever get to the bottom of whether or not it was on its original clutch or whether it may have already been changed once by a previous owner. But right. when you drop the engine, you just get the guys to kind of look at um, the wear on the clutch and all those bits and pieces. And it's like, if you drop in the engine, you know, like you then have to throw in, I can't remember what the cost is, but um, the cost of a new clutch, blah, blah, blah. Um, so you may as well just do it while you're in there. But the cost of the coolant lines and the clutch and doing all this is it's close to 10K, right? No. So I can't break it down because I looked at the invoice and I didn't um, – uh, I had a few other things kind of done, like I had um, the um, air conditioning serviced while it, the car was in there. So I've just right. kind of got like a lump sum yes. um, invoice. I don't have it um, itemized. Okay. But it, I think it was about six or seven. Six or seven thousand. But that – for the coolant, for the coolant lines to kind of be repaired, plus the clutch to be replaced whilst the engine was out, and you know, like probably may as well, they may as well have done the minor service while they're in there. But you save a little bit of money because you did do the clutch at the same time, so you are saving on labour a bit because they're already dropping the engine, right? So it's still exactly. a more worthwhile thing to do. But your clutch had yep. no slip before you did this. You, you didn't think you needed a new clutch or didn't have slip. Mm. You just decided that it, mileage-wise, it's no, going to happen soon. Yeah, there was no slip at all. Um, you could kind of tell that it sort of shuddered every now and then a tiny little bit, but I think I'm relatively gentle on my clutches. Like, even with previous cars, I haven't, it's not like I kind of go through clutches every, you know, 30, 40,000 K. I think right. I can 
I'm sort of relatively gentle with yep. the way I use my car. Um, so apart from that, what else is quite a few other things, right? So that, that, that is the big scary one. Like from here on in, there's actually nothing particularly kind of full on. Um, the other things are, that have been done, so in my literal kind of experience, um, sorry, let me just quickly go to it. Um, the strut top mounts um, for the suspension in my car needed to be kind of replaced. I guess they're a consumable and I think they're sort of like a rubber bit. So that oh, the bump stops? The bump stops? Is that, that what they're? Strut top mounts. Because my bump stops have gone on mine, the rubber bit, which is like a $3 part or something, but you've got to, but the labor is crazy to change them. I don't know. Uh, this is where my horrible lack of uh, mechanical knowledge comes into play. Okay. Um, so, but that was 1800 bucks, so that's not exactly cheap, but no, I'm assuming that expensive. to replace that, you've also then, like you're dropping something out, plus I think... Um, when it's put back together, you have to have your car realigned and all of that sort of stuff and reset up. So, oh, so that um, includes a I wheel alignment on top of the yep. thing. Yep. And the wheel yep. alignment's about $400 in Australia, around about, I think. Order House, I think, charged yeah. me $400 when I got it done there. $350 or $400? Yeah, I think it's about that. Yeah. I think it's about that. All right. Um, but I don't think, put it that way, like, uh, again, maybe the part itself um, probably isn't the cheapest kind of thing in the world. Right. Um, but, yeah. They're, and look, they're the two kind of biggest scary bits. Then when I was looking through my invoices, I noticed that um, it has been noticed that the rear, rear suspension lateral arms um, uh, potentially might need replacing soon. Um, my car's done 80,000 K. I don't think that's actually kind of happened yet, so I can't actually tell you okay. if that's a nasty thing. Um, but I remember Grant sort of explaining it to me once, and I just can't remember okay. um, exactly the ins and outs of that. Another one that's kind of come up on the reports was that the um, gearbox mount um, has a little crack in it. So that's obviously another thing that might kind of come that up. That sounds expensive. Mm, don't, I don't know. Gearbox I mount. No so how is it mounted? Yeah. Metal, is it? Is it metal? No idea. So he just said it's cracked, no starting to crack. Starting to, yeah. Like uh, I'm assuming that's no different from like an engine mount kind of um, you know, all the noise and vibration, like if the mount's doing its job, um, I, I'm assuming that that's what it's there for and that um, eventually it, you know, needs to be replaced. So, so there are two things that are coming up in the near future, the gearbox mount cracking and the lateral arms. Yep. So that's yep. that'll be interesting to see what that cost is when you do that. I'm guessing you're going to do that pretty soon or? No, I'll just wait. Like, you know. Um, wait till it fails. It's funny because, yeah, <laughs> well, it's not so much of that. Like, obviously, this is where your trust with your mechanic kind of lies. Like, I'm not, uh, I think I'm in tune when something, you know, in the car starts to rattle or kind of go wrong or feel kind of wrong. Um, but that sort of hasn't actually kind of happened. So um, I'm not going to stress and worry about it and unnecessarily kind of prematurely sort of change stuff. I'd... Um, go with a little bit of, like, I'll either use my own gut feel or um, take the advice of Autohouse, like, um, right. when the car goes in. Yep. Anything um, else? No. See, like, from there on in, like, I've had... Wasn't there something with a seatbelt? Yeah, sorry. There was two other little things, which is... Oh, sorry, I missed it. At the beginning, like, my car had apparently the wrong spec battery, which caused the window... Um, window function to judder the electric windows um 
but that was fixed once the battery was kind of replaced with the proper sort of spec one. It wasn't a Porsche one, it was a Vata one. It's weird about the battery, isn't it? You know what I mean? Because mm. my car has the wrong battery in it too, remember? Yep. And Slow it was crank. picked up it was picked up on PPI. Well, that's yep. what Grant actually said to me. And he actually said to me, yep. Don't change it. I was gonna change it with a Vata one. I was I was getting them to do it. Yep. And he said, Why do yep. you want to change it? Um, and this is where Auto House are really good. He said, why do you want to change it? And I said, well, because it's, it was coming up on the PPI and it's the wrong wattage yep. or whatever it is. You know what I mean? I forget what it was. Yep. Something was wrong. <clears throat> sure. I don't understand why people put a wrong battery in a car, though. I find that very bizarre that you would do that if you own a Porsche. Uh, I, th- I reckon it's just lazy because at the time the car goes in, if you don't have the right one, then you just kind of go, oh, this one will, will actually kind of work. It might not be the right spec, but um, just chuck it in there. And I've spoken about this before. And the Vata battery, and this is the yep. first surprise I had with a Porsche, the Vata battery, yep. I think they costed it at Auto House, and I think it was two seventy or something fitted. All right, for yeah, the battery, it's probably a little bit higher now. I think yep. it was two hundred and seventy. So say it's gone up a bit. My Audi, when I had it, my battery went on my Audi. It cost me seven hundred Australian dollars, and that was you know hmm. a long time ago, because I couldn't yeah. get. I had NRMA, which is the road service in Australia, come out. They couldn't change yep. the battery. The NRMA guy, NRMA guy put a battery on the floor in the car to get me the charge, and then drove yep. me. Followed me all the way to Audi in uh, Zetland there, Steve. This is yeah, what the, yeah. And then left me at Audi and then I had to put it into Audi there because I couldn't drive the car. Um, and yeah. I had to get an Audi battery because they, NRMA couldn't help me. They actually couldn't help me. And it cost me, it was actually more, it was almost $800. It was $770 yeah, yeah. for a battery. Um, and then I, you know, I get a Porsche 911 years later and then, you know, they tell me the replacement battery is only, you know, sub $300. So I start yeah, to think I'll about, sure. you know. I'll match your story with my 993 experience. I, something very similar happened to me. I got stranded, basically, and then, long story short was that the car basically had to go to um, Porsche Willoughby Scuds at the time to get the battery kind of done, and same sort of thing, using a factory battery plus their labour time to kind of charge it and check it and do all this kind of bullshit. And, you know, yeah. like, this is ages ago. Like, I think it was like 750 bucks for a battery. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's insane. crazy. Yeah. So um, the moral to that story is don't 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 have your battery changed at a Porsche dealership. It's no. just complete bullshit. And the Vata batteries are really good batteries for Porsche. That's what most people use, right? Most people yeah, use yeah, Vata. Yeah. Yep. I think there's another brand they use too. But you know, yep. I I guess when I go back when I get back to Sydney, I will change my battery. I mean, hopefully my yep. car still starts. Hopefully, but being on the trickle charger for this long, it still starts. I mean, yep. you know, I worry about. You know, we're talking about maintenance of the GT3, but I'm worried about maintenance of mine. I'm worried if, if the tyres are going to be okay. I'm worried about the battery. No, that'd be fine. Mate. But see, the battery with me, I don't have a huge problem with because I've always wanted to change it. Because I know this is this is just me being stupid, right? But it still niggles mm. me that I know the battery's the wrong battery. Like I know that that's not corrected and I've always wanted to correct it. <laughs> so in the back yeah. of my head, I want it to fail. I want it to fail so I can replace oh, I gotcha. it. I get see I get where Grant was kind of coming from because I think that's probably where you and I differ like where he would sort of say well why do you want to change it like it might if it doesn't crank straight away it's not really a big deal just wait like you may as well get whatever life is out of it left and then sort of change it over and I would probably roll with that yeah that's what he said that's what he said because I said you know I go I've just got back from overseas and the car's been sitting for three months you know how it used to sit Mm. for three or four months three months sure and I said yep. that to him and he said, if it still starts over after that, then just wait till it dies. You know, you don't need to yep. buy a new one. 
And I, it's good advice. Yeah. And it was the same advice with the brakes, you know. My car had the PPI yes. done. The brakes had no mil- – they were down to apparently the lowest, you know, diameter, which was bullshit from yep. Porsche South Sydney. And, yep. um, you know, four years later, my brakes are still okay. And Grant said the same thing. Why change them? Just wear them down to the indicator comes on. When the warning light comes on, you've still got enough pad left anyway. And then we can change them then. Yeah, look, I think that's the difference between an independent and um, going to a dealership. The dealership will tell you that, like, all this stuff needs to kind of be done. Um, whereas, you know, like, if you kind of get somebody that gives you sound advice, like, he's not telling you not to do it. He's just sort of saying to you, you can wait if you want. And I'm of that mind, um, which is, you know, I don't... Look, if if your car, like, we use the battery thing as an example, and I've been in that situation where I've had an unreliable battery in the 993 and um, you sort of constantly driving around with a pack in the on the back seat kind of wondering whether or not the thing's going to fail on you the next time you kind of stop the thing then that's where I'd kind of go yeah like don't don't wait for it to completely kind of mess up on you like change it it's yeah. terrible when you kind of when you're you don't have confidence in the reliability of your car yeah but, I mean you know, it's I a good feeling when everything's working properly that's when you feel good in your yeah. car that's where you really enjoy yep. it when everything is working properly so apart from that, Steve, yep. no other maintenance, apart from the, you know, the annual service, the minor service, the major services that have been done, there was nothing else um, that really big maintenance items. And there was, the only other thing that failed was, uh, as you just mentioned before, was um, the seatbelt receptacle kind of failed, like the driver's side seatbelt, the little thing with the red button on it. Um, even then, when you put the, you clipped your seatbelt in, it would throw like a and a, a warning on the dash, like the oh, okay. um, seatbelt sign wouldn't go out. Um, Autohouse had to fix it for me because that sort of was a safety item and I think I was asking them to do my rego check at the time. They felt guilty for sort of saying to me, oh, think you're going to have to change that and it's an expensive bit that we have to kind of source from Porsche. Was it a lot? I can't remember it? exactly. Yeah, it was a few hundred bucks. Right. For that but it won't pass rego, right? Those sort of things, you won't get registration passed yeah. in New South Wales if you don't have all those safety things intact. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I wanted my car back, so it's just like, yes, just go and order it, I understand, kind of thing. Um, but that's so that's my list of things that kind of went wrong on a, you know, in seven years' worth of ownership on a GT3, which, like, when you think about it and you add all of that up, um, okay, so that didn't include the kind of standard annual sort of services kind of thing. But that's actually pretty good, right? Like that, It is very – there's not wrong. much on there when you think about it. Yeah. You, you haven't replaced your brakes, though, during that period? No. <laughs> You've done no ma- – <laughs> no. I haven't done my brakes, no. That's insane, isn't it? See, that's crazy. And your car's got how many th- – how many th- how many kilometres? 70. Uh, yeah, but like I've – like in the time that I've kind of had the car, it's done what? uh 40 something so i don't i can't remember where like uh if the the pads and discs were brand new like right. when i actually kind of took ownership so they of may the have just been changed so maybe that's coming yeah. maybe that's coming i don't even know if my car's on, yeah i don't even know if my 997's on the original brakes i mean maybe it is because the kilometers are quite low my car's only got you know fifty thousand kilometers they're probably on the original pads yeah. I look I know I'm kind of pretty gentle on brakes as well um just from previous kind of car history that's because Steve drives fast no I drive <laughs> like grandma but like so like when you look it's uh, to your initial question which is like oh what do you think it's like oh there's no massive kind of horror stories like the the coolant lines is 
scary and it's it's expensive that was sort of one of those things but um overall i'd kind of go either i'm very lucky or if that's an example of an ownership experience with like what things kind of go wrong it's a pretty good sort of thing exactly if that if that's if that's what you've got in store for you when you buy a 997 gt3 you know with normal sort of kilometers not low kilometers just let's call them normal kilometers um, that's pretty good, mate. I mean, of course you've the got... The car had ma- a bit of track time on it too. And it had track time from the previous owner. I mean, like yeah. Steve said, the main thing is that coolant line repinning. Um, if you're buying a GT3, get a PPI <laughs> yep. or, and get them to check and get them to check that coolant line thing because that is the thing that's going to that's gonna kill you if you buy that car new and then you have to get that done straight away. It's a big... It's, it's still a big cost if you're not... If you haven't yeah, factored you it kind in. of brace yourself. Like, I don't know, like even just psychologically in my head, because I knew that that was an issue. As soon as like, you know, I had that kind of warning and I knew my kind of temp- engine temperatures were going up and then we were starting to talk about coolant things at Auto House. It's like, oh, okay, here we go. And then when the bill kind of comes along, when you get the phone call and they kind of go, oh, so how much is it going to be? And you start talking multiple thousands kind of thing. Yeah. I don't know. You just kind of go, oh, okay, yeah, you know, like obviously I want my car sorted. Yeah, oh, yeah, and it's worth it. It's obviously, you know, it's obviously kind of dear, but when you take a step back in the grand scheme of things over seven years, you yeah. know, like the yeah. amount of money that, that it's required to beyond just normal servicing, which is I'd, what we've talked about in the past in terms of a major service and a minor service, like your annual oil, oil and filter changes, brake fluid you know, um, air filters, blah, blah, blah. A GT3 versus like a standard um, Carrera or Carrera S, um, I believe is not a great deal more. It's not, you know, no. like it's, And I think... There's nothing kind of fancy about that in terms of the servicing. I think it's like 5 to 10% more. Mm-hmm. I don't even think it's that. It might not mean 10%. It could be 5% more. I don't know how Waterhouse... Yeah. This is just remembering uh, from, like I said, the service costs that I found on Porsche Parramatta in Sydney or Porsche Sydney, I think it was, that came up online once. And yep. the GT3 wasn't a lot more. You know what I mean? It yep. could have been a hundred yep. bucks more. Like compared to the major, say the major service was nineteen hundred on a nine nine seven Carrera. The GT3 major yep. service was you know twenty one hundred. So maybe it's ten yep. percent more. I'd agree with that. Yeah, it's about twenty one hundred. So if you're looking at a, a GT3, you know, um, I mean, you can do these searches. You can get this information beforehand. Anyway, most dealers will tell you how much the services are for the annual, the minor, the major. Um, but it's it's yep. minimal. It really is minimal for the car that you're getting, for the sort of car that you're getting, a GT car, um, and the and the your fun you're going to have with that car. It's not a lot more. And as you it's see, pretty good going. Yeah, yeah, and from you, Steve, you know, it's been a really reliable car. You've owned it for six and a half years. You drive at one point there. You were driving the car as your daily. You had it. Yeah. You were dailing it there for a while, which you put a few miles onto it yeah. because of that. So when you think about which it, which meant driving in traffic and stuff like that as stop well, stop-start I mean, traffic you know, in Sydney, which is terrible. Yeah. yeah. So you yeah. know when you think about that, it's a very reliable car, and we keep coming back to Porsche, and this is one of the. It's not just the the design. It's not just the, the you know, the heritage. It's not just all of that that we love about Porsche. It really is a well-engineered, and it really is. Yeah, they have issues like the IMS, and then you know the GT3 engines catching on fire, but it is. In general, you know, compared to yes, other marks, it's it's a very reliable car. It's a very reliable. Well, if sports I compare car. that, if I was to kind of line that up against what I know of, you know, like my one M experience, or you know, my parents have a, a C sixty three, a twenty ten C sixty three AMG, or my uncle's kind of got okay. like various other performance cars. Just just massive massive generalization, like um. 
the GT3 experience is no scarier and possibly maybe like or less scary than some of those other kind of performance marks, in my opinion. How did the how did the and I know you probably won't remember, but how did the one M mm. servicing prices compare to the GT3? I mean, I know um, you went to an independent for the BM as well. So how did they? Yeah, compare? it's a similar thing. Uh, bit hard to because I had I, I guess I didn't have the one M for that long, did I? Can't remember. Maybe about three years. Um, the one M had some stuff kind of go wrong with it. Definitely wasn't that wasn't sort of perfect. Um, and there are sort of like the kind of classic bugbears with that. So. That wasn't that wasn't sort of like heinously kind of expensive, like hold on to your seat, make sure that you've kind of got like a full piggy bank on the side kind of thing. So yeah. like that was a good, it's a good ownership experience, but at the same time you kind of go, yes, it's a special car, it's a performance car. So when things need fixing, you know, your bills aren't like under $500, your bills are sort of, you know, over $1,000 kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's not like just having a standard... BMW 1 Series. No, it's not sure. like running a Golf or yeah, yeah, anything yeah, like that. Yeah, it's completely yeah. different, completely different. It's yeah. up in the GT sort yeah. of way. All right, yeah. anything else, mate? I think we might call it a day. That was good. No, well, that's all it. I, yeah, like, you know, I, I was just surprised. It wasn't, I, I thought maybe there was actually going to be more in it when I kind of dug through my invoices. And then once I looked through it all, I was like, oh, actually, that's it. Like most of the money that I spent on it was me kind of horsing around with it. Yeah, so this is not all the stuff, <clears throat> all the money that Steve spent on, you know, adding to his car. But I think that's great. Stupid things. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think that's actually great. I think it's great for people who are thinking about buying a GT3. It's not that scary. Like you said, don't be turned off by, you know, people saying a GT3 is not for you, like your uncle. And then don't be turned off by the running mm. costs of a GT3 because compared to the sort of car it is, and I think what you said then is a very good point. Like even with the 1M, you can't compare it to like the cost of servicing a Golf. It is a GT3, you know what I mean? Yes. And you have to think yeah. the GT3, the service cost, you have to think of cars in that same league and what you would pay for maintenance and the reliability of those cars. And when you compare it to that level, the GT3 is pretty good. Well, maybe just, uh, no, no, we have to go, but just really quickly, like... Um, Compared to say, like, remember, I got rid of the 993 based on the notion that the thing was worth like maybe 90, but I started to kind of have to just tip quite a bit of maintenance money into it. It's almost like every time I took it to the mechanic, you know, I was almost guaranteed that the bill would be sort of beyond two grand every single time because it was kind of aging and things yeah. were starting to kind of let Good go. Good point, actually. Um, Good point. So, like, if it, it was almost like the mindset is, well, bloody hell, like, if, if every single time it's sort of like I have to kind of dip in two and a half grand for, like, every single visit, and that probably was more like twice a year, not once a year, um, I may as well get into something where um, the value is kind of there and the performance is there yep. against, like, the, the maintenance that I'm putting in. Yep, yep. If that makes sense. Good point, yeah. good point. Anyway, cool, cool. I guess that's the thing about air cools. People forget, you know, they are old cars and they are complicated, I guess, are they? They're more complicated to fix. Well, they're aging. It's just that they're aging. So you expect an older car to kind of play up like that. But yeah, when you look, when you compare it like that, then in my experience, obviously the GT3 is a newer car, but the maintenance cost of that is significantly lower than it was at the 993 at, a, at that point in time. Yeah. You know. Good one. All right. Yeah, cool. I think that's it, mate. We'll call it a day. We'll call it the end cool, of cool. this podcast. Um, <clears throat> thanks for that, Steve. No problems. 
I think uh, I hope everyone enjoyed uh, listening to Steve talk about his costs. I think it's a good one. I mean, you know, buying experience if you're looking at upgrading, things to watch out for. I mean, I think, you know, Porsche is pretty reliable. The costs aren't as scary um, as a lot of people think. And I guess it comes back to the thing if you're looking for a 911, like I said, you get one that would reasonable even not a GT3, just a normal 911, Steve, you get one with a reasonable service history and reasonably well looked after, you know, your outgoings aren't going to be that bad. You know what I mean? Maybe an air-cooled yeah. is going to cost you more, but, you know, relatively, you know, it is a sports car. You have to think about what it is. It's not that it's bad. Not, it, it's not dirt cheap. Like, you know, let's not be kind of silly kind of thing. Um, it's it's still like an expensive thing, but it's not. it's just not as scary as I think that some people potentially might perceive it to kind of be. Yeah. It's all about research. It's all about being prepared and, and knowing what you get, got yourself into, really, isn't it? You know? Yeah. It, yeah. Is, it is a sports car. It is a, you know, yeah. yours is even, you know, yours is a track car. Track focused. <laughs> track focused <laughs> car. It doesn't go on the track. <laughs> it doesn't go on the track. <laughs> yeah. um, all right. Um, that's about cool. it for today. Thanks, mate. All good. We'll Take talk care. soon. Have a good yeah. Week. You have a good one, too. Um, I've kept Steve a bit late today. We've, we started off late. But anyway, that's it for today. Uh, thanks for listening to the Porsche School podcast. Thanks to Steve again for sharing his uh, GT3 uh, maintenance cost, his costs of upkeep of the GT3 over the last six and a half, seven years. Um, make sure you catch owner stories with Nick. Um, do a search for that. There's lots of owner stories to listen to. Like I said, Nick is number 15, but check Nick's out. That was this week's episode about the 912. Um, and that's about it. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.